0: So you're a principal columnist now, aren't you? Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah, cool. I'll give you the intro.
0: Oh, so you're doing the intro? Yeah, yeah. Okay,
1: cool. I know Brad better than you do.
0: <laughs> There's right. enough. enough for me to go around?
1: <laughs> <laughs> David Cunliffe remains
2: about as popular. The at Gareth
0: Morgan's house. Look, this is a la la budget when my eyebrow goes up. it's a joke. Do police still arrest criminals in New Zealand. we tried cannabis prohibition for the past 40 years. The fact is
1: that was a boring, useless speech. Zip <laughs> it, sweetie, I'm getting Mister speaker. They say a week is a long time in politics. ora. welcome back to the Iron Juke podcast, where we run you through the week's policy peaks and pits. I'm Maddie Burgess Smith, and with me is senior consultant Byron Terrace.
0: Hello, Maddie. It's great to be here for another week of the wonderful Iron Juke (laughs) podcast. You come in with such an energy. Yeah, well, I'm just happy to be here. We've had a really good day, so it's kind of just portraying that through the podcast energy. Today, uh, we're joined later on by uh, the wonderful Brad Olson, who provides his insights on a number of things, such as inflation and the future of the economy for young people. But before we crack into our our peaks and our pits and interesting bits. Uh, I would like to just do a bit of a shout out for our um, friends in whanau up in Auckland uh, doing it tough at the moment. They've been in lockdown for um, you know, eleven, oh, just over 11 weeks today. Um, and so please, if you do have uh, friends and family up there, check in with them and make sure they're doing okay.
1: I think we've seen a lot of really useful discussions happen in that space over the last couple of weeks. Look, it brings me well into my peak of the week, which is that Auckland is moving down to step 3.2. Now, I feel like outside of Auckland, only six people understand the new alert level system. So just to give you a quick recap, level 3 now has three steps in it. Uh, three, two, one. Once you get down to one, we're not going back to level two. L- level two is over. We're going to the traffic light system. So then you'll go to step red. But step
0: red? Color red. Color red. Um, but it's called the COVID protection framework.
1: But it's a traffic light. Yeah. So we're at step two of the pre traffic light system. And what that means of is that three. Aucklanders can get back to the museum, the library. I don't Woo-hoo! know. I don't know how much time people spend in those places, but you can go shopping again.
0: And importantly, you can meet with up to 25 people.
1: Yes. From Outside. different
0: households outside
1: which is one hell of a picnic now whilst this may not seem like a lot and you still can't get back into hospital venues you can't sit down and you know have a restaurant meal or, or a coffee somewhere it's still takeaway in that space it just allows people a little bit more freedom to get back some of life's normalities and I think that's the important part about why we've made this transition and why we've made these changes to the alert level system it's about playing it day by day and having tools that are a little bit more flexible when when we need them to be
0: and I think if there's anyone in the country that needs them it's uh, Aucklanders. Right 100%. now,
1: what's your peak of the week?
0: My, my, yeah, my peak of the week, fantastic. My peak of the week is actually. Uh, I'm usually not a fan of the government establishing uh, new entities or new com- committees or new bureaucracies for any reason, but uh, this week I'm a fan of the government establishing the Ministry for Disabled People.
1: Yeah, so am I.
0: I think that is a often uh, overlooked group in policymaking and over often looked group in society, and one that uh, we cannot afford to just kind of keep ignoring and lumping in with the complex g- complex government soup. Of agencies that look after look after disability policy at the moment,
1: twenty five percent of all New Zealanders
0: are affected by some form of disability. That's yeah. that's absolutely correct. Look at us finishing each other's sentences. How perfect! Cute. And uh, one thing about accessibility and thinking about uh, dis- disability policy is it's not just building a, a wheelchair ramp mm. to a new venue, or it's not just ensuring someone's got access to a screen reader. There are a whole there's a whole system that sits in behind of supporting disabled people, both from a health perspective, a mental wellbeing perspective, and also a physical and accessibility business perspective. So I think having a centralised uh, one-stop shop, I know know, that's an overused term these days, but having a central agency that can actually advocate for them uh, Be in a kind of a centre of excellence for that kind of support uh, is is really important. We saw the government set up the office of uh, ethnic comu- uh, the Ministry of Ethnic Communities not that long ago and taking that uh, a bit more seriously. So this is something that I'm I'm really happy to see. But that's all a bit too positive, really, because we've got to have a pit.
1: Those are two very genuine picks from both of us. My pit of the week is the climate change announcement. You're probably gonna go which announcement because they seem to be coming thick and fast. Yeah, everywhere. just like our carbon emissions. Mine was the announcement from James Shaw, who I'm a huge fan of. <laughs> <laughs> You're clearly not. Um the announcement coming from James Shaw that we're going to halve net emissions from the late nineteen nineties. It's it two thousand and five? from 2005 by 2030, Now that was previously 2040. Now that would be an awesome announcement if he meant that we were going to be emitting half what we did in 2005, but we're not. Now, it's important to distinguish the difference between gross emissions and net emissions. Having gross emissions is fantastic. That's a lot of what the Climate Change Commission's recommendations... The do. climate change. It's a lot of what the Climate Change Commission's recommendations are about. But that wasn't what James Shaw was referring to. He was referring to net emissions, which is where we offset our emissions by buying, basically, carbon credits that are being sequestered elsewhere. We're, we're not taking anything out of our environment. We're just asking someone overseas, not even in New Zealand, but overseas to plant more trees to sequester more carbon and then we're giving ourselves a gold star for it. I don't think that washes.
0: Yeah, no, it's a difficult one to, it's a difficult circle to square because the Climate Change Commission said, oh no, New Zealand cannot rely on purchasing overseas offsets at all, we're not allowed to, especially business. Businesses aren't allowed to do that, how Mm. dare they? And so to see uh, the government decide that's how they're going to get to carbon neutrality by 2030 because James Shaw is going to COP. I think that's kind of a little bit hypocritical, which is a shame to see.
1: And um, if we were going to do an extra for experts bonus pit, a shared pit for the first time, Uh, in our podcast history, and that is that a bat won Bird of the Year.
0: Look, as a practising ornithologist myself, (laughs) I've actually written a personal grievance to Forrest and Bird about Bird of the Year for a mammal winning uh, something that it should not be Byron is a
1: pigeon enthusiast. Uh,
0: Exactly. I would prefer to see a general (laughs) rat-of-the-sky rock pigeon from our balcony here at Iron Duke Towers – Uh, to win rather than a small mammal.
1: What's your pit of the week?
0: My pit of the week is how inert our city here in Wellington is. And when I say inert and inertia, I mean that the city's not moving. There's there's nothing kind of new in the infrastructure space that's happening here, despite the aptly named Let's Get Wellington Moving project, Mm. which is frankly an insulting name for something that has its genesis. In the year two thousand and seven,
1: I had no idea. Exactly, so in i was the, still at primary school then. That's
0: great. Um, and so I uh, oh, was. not <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, so in two thousand and seven, they first uh, the the city council here first realised that there's a bit of a bottleneck on the way to the airport whenever you're trying to get there from anywhere. So that's a long time ago.
1: You're supposed but, to take the bus.
0: Back then, you could. There was the airport flyer. Mm. Then they got. Then they got rid of that. that R.I.P. R.I.P. G.W.R.C. Please, please bring back a bus to the airport. Uh, and then in 2008, we had the first plan to say four lanes to the planes.
1: Joe, Joe's Joe,
0: but not. But Joe picked that up later. Uh, former mayoral candidate of Wellington. Um, that's for, all
1: I remember about him. Exactly.
0: That's niche Wellington local government chat. Uh, and then in 2016, eight years after they realised that they needed to get people to the planes. They formed Let's Get Wellington Moving, and nothing, for those listeners in Auckland, nothing has happened since. And... Yesterday we saw the announcement of the four different options and bendy buses and trams and now they're to build houses down in Island Bay. Nothing will get built before the 2028.
1: So like they won't even start.
0: There's no shovel to the ground. There's no concrete being broken, no roads being ripped up to start again until 2028. And frankly, as a resident here in the city and as a public policy kind of guy... Not only is this terrible public policy, it's actually insulting to ratepayers here. It's actually mm. insulting to people that want to see some progress. Uh, I, you know, through my work here at Iron Duke, uh, I worked with uh, Auckland Transport in the ATAP program, and I saw what a really a, a decent transport program partnership with government can look like. And frankly, we've just done the opposite. We've just walked in the complete opposite direction mm. and made a meal of it. And I feel really bad for the, the officials that are trying to work on this uh, piece by piece because it just ain't working. Cut it, start again, let's do something different.
1: Well, hey, with the rate of the vaccine rollout, we might not need the airport until 2028. Don't make (laughs) me feel any
0: worse about New Zealand, please, come on.
1: Well, it's a shame we didn't pick a cheerier guest than an economist to join us as our guest today. Welcome to Brad Olson. Hey, well, Brad, thanks heaps for making the time and coming along today. Brad is a principal economist and also a director at Infometrics Partners. He is, fun fact, also New Zealand's youngest, J.P.,
0: Indeed, thank you so much for having me along. You're you're also um, probably one of the most seen and recognisable economists in the country.
1: If you have a television set, you've probably seen Brad's lovely face, beautiful face.
2: Perhaps, although uh, economists are generally better to be uh, talked about but not seen quite as much. We're often quite bad at explaining things and having to, uh, I guess, talk about why our predictions last year were wrong
0: and why this year's ones might be right. Ah, well, you can't be any worse than Treasury and its health prices.
1: <laughs> You're a humble guy, Brad. That's why we've got you on the show.
0: So it's one thing that's not humble at the moment, though, is inflation. We know that it's the highest in 30 years, uh, with the caveat you'll talk about in a second, no doubt. Um, so talk us about the impact of inflation, some of the causes, and is it here to stay or is it just temporary? Well, I think we've got to be uh,
2: go back in time a little bit. You know, we've been existing over the last decade with a very low inflation environment. We haven't been seeing those same price increases that we saw before the GFC in that sort of weird period when the economy... We were still trying to regain momentum, it was still going a bit slow. Now we are very much seeing very hot inflation uh, coming forward. That 4.9%, as you said, the highest we've seen in, in over 30 years, uh, excluding the one time that we increased GST back in 2011. So this is hot. That means that households are paying a lot more mm. for the goods and services that they're, they're accessing. What it also means is that the cash in your back pocket buys less. That, mm. that, that's the, the long and the short of it. And it does uh, start to create some real pressures when you're trying to get stuff, you're trying to make your money go as far as possible and your bang for buck is just going down.
0: It just burns a hole in your wallet, doesn't
2: it? Absolutely. And the challenge I think we're going to have for a lot of households is this is coming at the same time as there's still cautiousness and uncertainty about where we're heading next. So if we are starting to have those inflation rates head higher, people are going to become nervous about what they can actually spend their cash on
1: so what does that mean for wages and and salary increases this year how much do you need to get this year to get ahead
2: you've got to be getting a fair bit of money what we know over time is that this has been a growing issue we know that inflation of course 4.9 percent in the September quarter uh, wages in the June quarter going running at about 2.1 oh. percent so one step forward two steps no, back not, not enough very not much so yeah. more importantly the distributional hits are huge we know that 73 percent of New Zealanders in the June year either didn't have a raise or had a raise that was below inflation. So again, you've got a lot of people that aren't making a whole lot more. They're going backwards uh, when it comes to their finances.
0: So is this structural? Is this temporary? Is it here to stay? Or is the RBNZ going to perform a Superman move and save us from this devil?
2: Look, I think we've got to be realistic. This is probably here to be a bit more persistent than we've been giving it credit for. That's not to say that we're going to have 4.9% forever, but we are probably going to have hotter inflation than what we've experienced for a longer period of time. And that's because as we look across the world, there's quite a few drivers of it. We're seeing the likes of shipping costs, of course, those supply chain disruptions making it really, really difficult. Uh, If you're a retailer, you haven't got as much stuff to sell that therefore why would you be doing discounting or similar you're going to have to put the price up to me make sure that people are making the right sort of decisions um, we're also seeing of course energy prices continuing to go up petrol now at nearly $2.50 a litre all of that stuff is coming forward the big challenge I think is that we've got what economists talk about as both tradable and non-tradable inflation so we've mm-hmm. got the stuff coming in from overseas right New Zealand can't do anything about that we take petrol prices from yeah. the world They they tell us what they are but here domestically we've got stuff going up as well we've got rents. We
1: do put a lot of additional taxes on a lot of what comes in, so we do have control in that space.
2: Oh completely, but you know when the oil price has nearly doubled over the last 12 months, that we, that's where we're starting to see the uh, effects that we can't be moving quite as much. Domestically though, you look at rents, right, rents are up in, a, in an incredible regard, electricity prices are all doing the same thing. Rates as well, quite a key mover, um, mm. that's what happens when you underinvest for 30 years and councils all of a sudden have to really start to, to push uh, some, some money going forward. All of that, though, says that we could be seeing that inflation ride higher for longer. If that happens, and certainly at the moment with the economy, generally speaking, in a hotter inflationary period, is going to have to increase interest rates. They're wanting to dampen as much of that excess or additional demand we've got at the moment.
1: So if you're an aspirational Kiwi, isn't it just easier to move offshore at the moment? Things are easier and there's job demand anywhere you look.
0: Not to mention you can travel. Yeah. Absolutely, and I think
2: there's big challenges, particularly in New Zealand, with uh, losing some of our talent overseas, very close to, to home, though, still to Australia, particularly construction and healthcare uh, are areas that we often are seeing a lot more move uh, in terms of New Zealanders heading across the ditch. For construction, there's $100 billion worth of infrastructure to get going over in Oz, and like you say, living costs are generally mm. cheaper, particularly when it comes to rents and everything else, so you're getting paid good money, you're not paying quite as much uh, you know, out yourself to, to keep a roof over your head yep, and similar, yep. that's becoming a... quite a key element same with nurses again feeling like they're underpaid feeling like they haven't got nearly as much money coming in their back pocket but again you're paying out through the nose uh, when you're paying your bills increasingly though the big challenge for New Zealand is that we've had a lot of people who haven't left over the last 18 months that
1: normally would absolutely and once you've got that certainty of knowing that you could come back if you absolutely needed to last minute I think a lot of those people are going to be off.
0: Yeah, one of the one of the things that I'm reading a lot about, uh, kind of it seems like a bit of a global phenomenon, I know FT's written on this, Economist has written on this, New York Times has written on this recently, is this concept of the great resignation. And I saw Sharon Zollner from ANZ today even talk, talking about that. Is that going to happen here? We could see some
2: elements of it. I think New Zealand's in a slightly different position just because of how our labour market has reacted from COVID-19 and that some of the drivers of why people are moving around are probably a little bit different from what you're seeing around the great resignation. Uh, across the world. What we've also seen, though, is that the labour market has continued to tighten in New Zealand. So what we're having at the moment is those wage pressures are starting to increase where workers are saying, well, look, I can get a better job elsewhere, so I'm going to be looking Mm. for more pay, either from the current boss or from someone else. Increasingly, though, and this is probably the greatest difference we've seen in a while, is that job poaching is going higher. So it's not so much, you know, the the general resignation story of, look, I'm sick of it, I'm going to find a new opportunity. Actually, the new opportunity has found me Um, Uh, And that's becoming a huge challenge for a lot of businesses because they're going, well, look, I'm not only trying to hire new staff, but I can barely keep hold of the ones I've currently got.
0: See, I think that it's going to happen to New Zealand. I don't think we're prepared for what's coming, uh, especially as we think about that cohort that Matty just talked about, the, the young people that are here that kind of have got a pent-up demand. And so come about March next year, I think New Zealand is going to see a remarkable loss of talent, and it will be of a certain type of worker that can take their skills all around the Anglosphere, primarily around the world. Uh, and I, I really hope that people are thinking about what comes next, because if we're going to have the same immigration settings and you're not going to be able to get uh, staff to fill those slots.
1: Yeah, look, you talk about that point around, around wage inflation and people poaching jobs. We're seeing a lot of that in the public sector, particularly given the wage freeze, is that people are just jumping in between jobs instead of asking for a raise because they know they can't get it. Is there inflation in the public sector?
2: There is, but I, and I think it's very much that sort of um, more guarded uh, uh, wage inflation that you've talked about where people are moving into different uh, different areas. We're also, of course, seeing that there's a huge boost in the activity that government's doing. You know, there's more ministries being popped up. There's a huge expansion in what government is having to look after in terms of the number of people, but also the number of crossover roles. I mean, again, we've got a housing ministry. We've probably got about six different ministries or departments that are doing a lot of work in the housing space. Um, I mean, it, it's acronym soup at the moment, is, yeah. um, and, and and I think what we're seeing there as well is that there is uh, still that real firm fear uh, feel though that that public sector provides that job security, right? uh, Private sector is in a much more challenging position. People not sure exactly uh, how long they might be sticking around. Some of those well-paid jobs as well, um, certainly very much on at the moment, very much options for people at the moment. The worry is, what does that look like in 12 months' time if things start to deteriorate, if we start to see that softening
0: in economic activity? So uh, this is more of a question for the, the both of you rather than for me. What We've just talked about A really interesting concept here. We've got inflation, cost pressure's going up, wage pressure's going up, there's a lot of pressure to move, the borders might be a bit more liberalised next year, so what does this mean for young New Zealanders? What does what does this mean for people kind of in their early twenties, not their late twenties? What does this mean for them? What are they going to do? Are they going to just be facing higher costs and stick around and suffer through that? Or Are they going to pick up and leave? Are they getting ahead? Are they falling behind? What, what 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 is the state of the young kind of young person economy? I think there's a lot of opportunities
2: out there for young people who are willing to figure out where they are and and, and do that work to to find them. Uh, the difficulty, I guess, is that we've got a lot of people who also want to explore. We know that young people want to go on the OE. We know they want to go and um, find another opportunity. Often that leads them into employment and eventually they might bring some of that uh, great skill that they've learned overseas back into New Zealand. I think the worry is is almost less that we uh, lose people, we're naturally going to do that. But I don't know at the moment if we've got any real key attractions to bring them back to New Zealand. Why would you come back when inflation is high, it's so difficult to find a house. And actually some of the research that's been done over the last 18 months has suggested that when people come back they're often not uh, welcomed with open arms, they're found to be in a much more compromised position where people say, well look, that's how work happens overseas, but in New Zealand we do it a different way.
0: What do you think about
1: that, Maddy? Yeah, I I absolutely agree with Brad, and I think there's this real risk, right? When you've got that pent-up demand for a walkabout, young people who would have gone in a gap year instead go in their early career, as Brad and I are now. For for reference, everyone, uh, Brad is only 24 years of age. Zuma. Uh, And I think what happens when people go overseas a little bit later than they would have otherwise, they don't actually come back. You go overseas and you get a good job instead of working at an orchard somewhere, Mm. and then after that comes a mortgage and a partner, and pretty soon you end up sticky to these other places. Knowing full well that you won't be able to get into a house in New Zealand, that alone could be enough to keep people abroad.
2: And we're seeing some big changes as well with how young people interact across the world and here in New Zealand. Young people are of course taking longer to get into a house, they're also taking longer to get into relationships, uh, have kids start to settle down. That does mean that we've got a much more dynamic and mobile workforce when it comes to young people but we're also increasingly seeing that the challenges uh, of you know all these different issues, whether it's housing whether it's rentals, whether it's job opportunities and similar, COVID Nineteen absolutely wrecked young people only a decade after the GFC did the exact mm. same thing. And so that that scarring, that sort of uh, challenge, the setback that young people have from not immediately getting into a job or not being able to stay in mm. a job quite so long, we might not see that immediately. But over time, there are repercussions from
0: those sort of activities. You're going to carry that with you. E-
2: exactly. And it's going to be a challenge. Some people are not going to have the motivation uh, or the sort of self-delivery to be able to move forward in those spaces. They are going to be more compromised.
1: That exact point. My last question for you: ASB came out with some data last week saying four in ten New Zealanders have less than a thousand dollars in their savings account. What the is up with that? And should we be worried?
2: We should be worried. The only thing that gives me a little bit of confidence there is that figure. So forty percent of New Zealanders have have so little money. Uh, last year it was forty eight percent. So we've gotten ever so slightly better, but we've also got to remember Still a
1: lot of New Zealanders, Brad. It's,
2: it's absolutely huge. And what it suggests: look, if something goes wrong in your life, right, you Why don't that? have that buffer.
0: Is that because they all have a little bit of Bitcoin? <laughs> <laughs> Only $1,000, but actually, you know, they're sitting on a lot of Dogecoin as well. You want to hope that
2: Shiba or, uh, uh, you know, whatever your shares, his account is doing a bit better. They're going to
0: spend it in the metaverse. Meme stonks were coming for you. That's what young people do these days, (laughs) isn't it, guys? Guys? Uh,
2: I think what it suggests, though, is that, look, again, you've got that that two steps forward or the one step forward, two step back uh, challenge for a lot of young people where it takes so much longer now to establish yourself as a young person to have the financial backing, the financial security to make some of those bigger decisions. It's going to take... I mean, at the moment, we're seeing it take at least a decade for most New Zealanders to be able to save up for a house deposit. You know, that's another 30 years uh, on top of that to pay off the mortgage. We're talking quite a few decades now that young people are going to be finding it more and more difficult.
0: I can't wait to do an episode on housing because that's a whole episode in itself. be
1: kind to the Bank of Mum and Dad would be the title of that episode. Hey, Brad, thanks so much. We're going to run you through a real quick hot or not.
0: Uh, Brad, hot or not, rapid antigen tests. Hot, if we could get them.
1: Sorry, I do that every <laughs> single time Every time
0: TikTok Not <laughs> uh, And last one from me is Biden falling asleep at the COP conference Definitely not Oh, come on mate, he's 78, he needs a nap <laughs> That's all right. We all not- take naps the- now and again
2: Naps are for night time ah. <laughs> it's good game Hot
1: Not <laughs>
2: uh, No, ding for me please oh.
1: See, you. I control the buttons
2: Thank you Let's get Wellington moving Not coming Not 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 coming through till 2028 Consumer confidence tanking Not Yeah that's a big not For me either Melbourne Cup Not
1: Do you not like horses?
2: Good on you mate I'm just not a big Horse racing fan Bendy buses Not
1: Hmm um, Trams then? Oh hot There we go everyone You heard it here first Bradley Olsen is a tram man
0: uh, Brad thank you so much for your time here on the Iron Troop podcast it's always a pleasure having you in the office and uh, the studios here we look forward to seeing you on the TV in the next couple of days no doubt
1: thanks
2: so much for having me alright cheers it,
0: mate.